Hello, I'm Richard Carey, and welcome to this very special episode of the Years of Hurt podcast. Although, can we even call it that anymore? Yes, the Lionesses were successful in the Women's Euro 2022. They won the whole thing out on Wembley on Sunday night, and we're here to celebrate that and look back at how the Lionesses won the Euros. From that very first match at Old Trafford to the final, we'll be talking about how they got through the tournament and all the success that went along with it. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can do on Twitter at YOHEuros. Well, what an amazing three and a half weeks. We had everything that happened in this tournament and the Lionesses were the absolute stars of the show. So to tell you a few things about it, this was the 13th Women's Euro Tournament. The first one being in 1984. They've had them every four years since 1997. Before that, it was like every two years mostly, but with some exceptions. And Euro 2022 was delayed one year due to COVID as the Olympics and Euro 2020 had to be put back to 2021. As a a knock-on effect, the Euros were not back another year. And obviously with the Qatar World Cup happening in the winter, that could happen. If it hadn't, who knows what would happen? This is the second time there's been 16 teams in the tournament. And the format is the same as the old men's Euros prior to 2016, with 16 teams, four groups, the top two teams advancing from each group, and then quarterfinals, semifinals, and final. Nice and easy, none, none of this working out who's the best third place teams or whatever like that. So the Netherlands are were the current holders going into this tournament. Germany are the record winners, won it eight times out of 13. Norway have won it twice, and Sweden won the other one. This tournament was held in England for the first time since 2005, and just to give you a bit of perspective of the difference, Back then, the final was hosted at Ewood Park, Blackburn Stadium, so quite a big deal to be hosted at Wembley this time. Speaking of host stadiums, we had Old Trafford for the opening game, Bramall Lane in Sheffield, Sheffield United's ground, St Mary's Stadium, Southampton's ground, Stadium NK for the Milton Keynes Dons, Brentford Community Stadium is Brentford's ground, so we've got a few uh, Premier League stadiums in there, the New York Stadium in Rotherham, Lee Sports Village in Lee, and the Academy Stadium in Manchester, along with Wembley, for the final there was a bit of criticism about the choice of stadiums particularly Lee Sports Village and Academy Stadium which are really quite small and I guess there was an argument you know whether they should be in better stadiums where they get better crowds if it was a men's Euro sorry you'd probably see some of the bigger stadiums like Stadium of Light St James's Park the sort of 40-50 thousand um, stadiums in there instead of at Brentford and all that sort of thing and I guess they're worried a little bit about the non-England matches not getting a lot of uh, attendance. But I think this is very well actually subscribed. I know tickets were quite cheap, so it's quite accessible for people to go to. And obviously the final was fantastically uh, attended, as we'll talk about a bit later. So the England team went into this competition led by Serena Wiegmann. She led the Netherlands to win Euro 2017 and got them to the World Cup final in 2019. She joined England just about a year ago in September 2021, replacing Phil Neville, who left the position to manage Inter Miami. That's a a team owned by David Beckham. Now, women's football has been getting a lot of positives over the years, along with the England performances, you know, third in the 2015 World Cup, Euro 2017 semi-finalists and World Cup 2019 semi-finalists. 
There's also the WSL, the Women's Super League TV deal with BBC and Sky signing a three-year deal worth £24 million to show live games. And that brings a bit of money into the game. And in 2018, the league went fully professional. So now England players are actually professionals, not having to worry about you know, having another job or anything like that. So when you consider this, it's kind of, kind of had quite a few leaps forward in the last couple of years. England's tournament began on Wednesday, the 6th of July, with the very first match of the tournament at Old Trafford, with 68,871 in attendance to face Austria in the opening game. It was quite a tense game, this opener, but England did get the lead in 16 minutes after Meade lobbed the ball over the keeper. Kirby to Beth There was an attempt at a goal line clearance, but the ball had crossed the line. Thanks very much, technology, for that one. It was 1-0 England, and that's actually how it finished. There was a few chances for Austria late in the game, one saved by Mary Earps, and a few other chances for England to increase the lead for a white header. This was a bit of a shaky start for England in the first game, although they were barely troubled by Austria going forward. Sometimes, though, in these tournaments, you need to just get a win by any means necessary in the first game. you just got to work your way into it. You don't want to peak too soon, do you? So getting that victory in the first game, with all the expectation behind them, was such a great result. But we move on to one of the star matches of the tournament. England versus Norway at the Amex Stadium in Brighton. Many thought this would be a close game. Norway had comfortably beat Northern Ireland 4-1 in their first game. So this was thought to be a big challenge for England. But what they do, they broke a tournament record in an absolute rout. The first goal came from a penalty. White was brought down the box after she was being held. And Stanway put away the penalty to make it 1-0. Stanway, brilliant. You just don't say those. Me played the ball across to Hemp for a tap-in. Initially, it was given offside, but VAR proved it wasn't. And VAR made its presence felt a lot of this tournament, particularly for the French team, who against Iceland had two goals disallowed and also had a penalty against them given by VAR, which ended up being 1-1, thanks to that penalty, because it was in like the 92nd minute. Lots of drama in that one. And France were a little bit hard done by White stole the ball off a Norwegian defender, ran through and slotted it into the bottom left corner to make it 3-0. Just about gets away from me, but she can't from Ellen White. White is in here. White to make it three. And she does. How about that? The Lionesses are running away with it. The goals just kept on coming. Hemp crossed it in from the right, into the head of Beth Mead to make it 4-0. And then a jinking run through the defence by Mead, and she slotted into the net with her left foot to make it 5-0. One-on-one, Beth Mead still going. It's Mead! Oh, that is sensational! What are we 
Sigil. Super made by for England. They are strolling into the quarterfinals. There's a through ball by Stanway to Kirby opening up the Norway defence and a low cross to the back post and White put it away for a brace and it was 6-0 at half time. Unbelievable stuff by the Lionesses, absolutely steamrolling Norway. The second half wasn't so goal-filled, but we still had a few things to celebrate. There was a first-time ball in from Bronze on the right-hand side, and the substitute Russo was waiting at the back post to head it in to make it 7-0. Then Greenwood cut it back to Walsh, a deflection made it difficult for the keeper, and Beth Mead was there with the rebound for her hat-trick. Oh, Walsh! Cherry 8-0 to England and that's how it finished. England were absolutely clinical and relentless in this game and one of the things I noticed about the Lionesses in this tournament, they never took their foot off the pedal, did they? Constantly 4-0 up, 5-0 up, 6-0 up. They're still attacking and attacking and attacking and you know using those substitutions to make the most of that. And that is something really rare. I mean, in the men's game, you'll probably see players sort of dropping off, but Lionesses just kept going and going. You know, strength and depth was shown as well with Russo and Greenwood coming off the bench. Norway very poor here, and they left England far too much room at the back, which England just managed to exploit time and time again. But with the win, England had qualified as group winners with six points after Austria beat Northern Ireland 2-0. As England had a better head-to-head record than both Austria and Norway, it meant they were definitely through as winners. So there was no pressure really going into the third and final match at St Mary's Stadium against Northern Ireland. Not much was expected of Northern Ireland, who are already out of the tournament, having lost their first two games. And despite qualifying as group winners, Wiegmann stuck with the same 11 that started the first two matches. A Kirby low cross to Stanway was cleared off the line and Hemp's shot was blocked, but it came back to Kirby, a lovely shot from outside the box to make it 1-0 to England. Kirby onto Hemp, onto that left foot, charge down. Oh, Kirby! A sublime strike to break the Northern Ireland resistance. Hemp crossed the ball in, it was headed away only as far as Mead, and she somehow squeezed it into the bottom left corner for another goal for her to make it 2-0, and that's how it was at half-time. There were still more goals to come in the second half. Mead crossed it in from the right. Russo had a header, slightly off balance, but into the right side of the net. The super sub strikes again, 3-0 to England. Two finding space between the lines. Oh, lovely turn, Russo! Ruthless from Russo. That was a wow goal. The Man United subs linked up as Toon played it through to Russo and an absolutely lovely turn from her. Probably something that's going to get forgotten was that Russo turn. All the headlines were about her goal against uh, Sweden in the semi-finals. But a lovely turn here and tucked the ball into the bottom right corner to make it 4-0. Then Meade played it into the box and unfortunately Burrows, a defender, lobbed the ball over our own keeper and into the net to make it 5-0 to England. And you've got to feel a bit sorry for her. And there was a bit of criticism about women's football being banned. I saw this like compilation online about all these mistakes that 
were made in women's football. But I think that's a bit unfair because there's some absolute howlers in the men's game as well. And this was just kind of an unlucky own goal, really. Later on, Russo missed a bit of a sitter to miss out on a hat trick and it ended 5-0 to England. So it wasn't as a convincing scoreline as Norway. And the subs came on a bit earlier here, probably winding down the game a little bit earlier. But still a very impressive performance and a great record in the group stage. Just listen to this. Anyone would want this in, in a World Cup or Euro group. Nine points out of nine, 14 goals scored, no goals conceded in three matches. The quality of opposition, though, hasn't always been there. I mean, the Northern Ireland team just don't have all the professionals that the England team have. You know, They don't have the structure yet. And that obviously impacted them. With the other two games, Austria and Norway also didn't have the same quality as England. So it really did feel going into the knockout stages that the tests were still to come. And England hadn't really been sort of closed down quickly enough or had the game taken to them. But then we come to the quarterfinal against Spain. Once again, it was from the Amex Stadium in Brighton. Spain had qualified as runners-up in Group B with six points. They beat Finland 4-1, but lost to Germany 2-0, then beat Denmark 1-0. Like their male counterparts, they relied on possession football. Spain were actually favourites to win this tournament at 7-2, with England behind at 4-1. So this would be England's toughest test yet, and that's how it proved to be. Meade had a free kick which was crossed into White but headed wide. Hemp had a free kick from the left. The ball fell to White. It was in the back of the net, but the goal was ruled out. It was offside. And at halftime, it was nil-nil. A half that the Spanish really dominated. And early in the second half, Del Castillo beat Daly down that right-hand side. A low cross to Gonzalez and she slotted it into the net to make it 1-0 to Spain. And for the first time in the tournament, England had conceded and England were losing. Del Castillo, lovely touch, pulls it back. Del Castillo's cross turned shot almost beat Earps, but she managed to palm it away. That could have been a horror moment, a sort of Ronaldinho David Seaman 2002 World Cup moment, but luckily Earps got a hand to it. England had a few chances, and the game almost felt like it was slipping away from them, but in the 84th minute, the equaliser. Now Stanway, onto Hemp. It's towards Russo. Hemp whipped it in from the right-hand side on the left foot. Russo headed it down to Toon, who slotted it past the keeper. England level in the 84th minute. Spain complained about this a lot, but there wasn't really anything wrong with this goal. The goal stood 1-1, and that's how it was at full time. The first quarter-final went into extra time. And with that goal, the momentum was with England. In the first half of extra time, Stanway picked up the ball. The Spanish defence backed off and they paid for it. She had a pop from 25 yards out. Space opening up for Georgia Stanway. Goes for goal! Oh my word! What a screamer! An absolute screamer, probably goal of the tournament. It beat the keeper, who was maybe a little bit out of position. And that gave England the lead in style. 
Sariegi had a chance at the edge of the box. A deflection sent it wide. There were a few nervy moments in that second half, but England held on for the victory. England 2, Spain 1. Well, like I said before, this was definitely England's toughest test. And really, I was starting to get that sinking feeling watching towards the end of this game, thinking, is the goal going to come? I'm not really sure. But as as the game went on, England had more chances and Spain were really dominant, um, particularly for that first half and up to the first goal. They maybe made a few tactical errors as their goal scorer was subbed off late in the game, whereas Wiegmann got an absolute spot on bringing on Russo and Toon as super subs. And she also put Millie Bright up front for a bit just to make sure they get the goal. And they did. The big difference with this game compared to the group stages, England were dominating those games in terms of possession, in terms of chances, but Spain really took the game to England and that proved a challenge, but they got over this hurdle and that was the main thing. And you always have this in a tournament. You're always going to have that sticky game where it could go one way and you could go out or you could work for it and you get through it and you, you keep going. That's a commonality with all tournament winning sides. So then we had the final four as England faced Sweden at Bramall Lane in Sheffield. Sweden got through Group C with seven points. A 1-1 draw against former winners Netherlands. They beat Switzerland 2-1 and thrashed Portugal 5-0. They just got past Belgium in their quarterfinal 1-0 with a winning goal in the 92nd minute, so they left it late there. Sweden were one of the favourites for the tournament, ranked second in the world, only behind the mighty USA. And Sweden made the most of it in those opening moments as an early chance for Jakobsen was saved by the foot of Mary Earps. Sweden hit the bar following a corner after Earps couldn't claim in the cross. White couldn't get on the end of a hemp cross, but it fell to bronze on the right-hand side and she chipped it into Mead. A turn, a shot and a goal! 1-0 to England! And that's how it was at half-time. England had the advantage. 1-0. Inches away. Bronze keeps it going. is absolutely flawless. In the second half, England pressed on. Mead's corner fell to an unmarked Lucy Bronze at the back post. Her downward header bounced once and ended up in a net. 2-0 to England. Russo had just come on when she provided a low cross to Hemp who missed a sitter and put it over the bar. Black Stennis's shot came off her knee and it took a great save by Earps to prevent any kind of comeback here. Kirby crossed it into Russo, but she hit it straight at the keeper. Finding Kirby. Russo! Save by the Oh! Wow! What was that? Russo picked up the ball again. An absolutely outrageous back heel through the legs of the keeper. What an audacious goal. Just unbelievable to make it 3-0. I mean, I did say that Stanway goal was a goal of the tournament, but this one might be as well. I mean, first off, she misses a really simple chance, but the back heel to actually put it off. Uh, I mean, maybe the keeper shouldn't have had the legs open, but what a goal by Russo to make it 3-0. Then Kirby went for a chip. It was initially saved by Lindahl, but the ball bounced into the net anyway. Here's Kirby. Yeah. 
a night to forget for the Swedish keeper and 4-0 to England is how it finished. Well, what a convincing way for England to get through to the final, especially after that sticky game against Spain. There was no such trouble this time round. Sweden had shown signs of struggling in the tournament and that came to head in this game. You do feel it would have been a different kettle of fish had Sweden got that early goal after their early pressure. But England after that were very much in control. They particularly pressed on after that second goal just after the break, which really gave them the confidence to keep going. And it's so nice to watch an England semi-final. You never, this never happens. You never watch an England semi-final that's comfortable. It's not something we're ever used to watching in the men's game. I mean, at the World Cup, we lost to Croatia. And I think both that went to extra time, if I remember. And obviously, Denmark game went to extra time as well. So not, you never usually get a comfortable semi-final. But here we did have one with a 4-0 victory and a convincing one. So it came down to one game for Linus's to make history at Wembley Stadium with over 87,000 in attendance. It's the highest attendance for any Euros match, I believe, whether it's a male or female. And it's the highest women's attendance record in the UK. Germany had a fantastic tournament as Group B winners beating Denmark 4-0, Spain 2-0 and Finland 3-0. They also beat Austria in the quarterfinal 2-0 before a 2-1 semi-final win against France in a close match, but France didn't really have enough chances there to get through. Now, Pop, who had scored both goals in the semi-final, was actually injured during the warm-up of this match and ruled out. She was still on the bench, but didn't come on in the match, so it must have been quite gutting for her. I think very good news for England to hear that, but also you know, very gutting for her. And obviously, you want to have sort of best match you can possible, but it didn't really affect the German team who still played really well. England had the same 11 for the whole tournament. Uh, that's all, even with all Russo's goals and Toon's action, they thought we're going to keep them as super subs and maybe that decision was a good one. So in the match, we had a goal line scramble off a German corner, which was cleared off the line by Williamson and then gathered by Erps. Now, apparently German press are reporting that this was a handball and they were hard done by. But if that was a handball, that would be a very harsh handball to give. And obviously this was checked by VAR, I believe, and it wasn't given. Mead pulled the ball back to White. She was slightly off balance and sliced the ball over the bar. And with 45 minutes gone, it was England nil, Germany nil in a cagey first half with very stop-start play. And the referee in this match was being pretty harsh because she booked Stanway and Wyatt for not really much at all, to be honest. And there wasn't a lot of consistency from the ref as you saw some German fouls and they weren't getting bookings for them. So at least if you're going to be strict, be strict both ways. But when came the second half and Germany had a bright start, McGull's shot went just wide. And then the breakthrough with a beautiful long ball by Walsh over the top, cut the German defence in half and sub Toon was in and a lovely chip over the keeper gave England the lead 1-0. What a goal, what composure. Eighty-seven thousand watching. She just chipped it over, and it was perfect. 
but Germany responded with chance after chance. They weren't going to bow out of this match. Magul hit the bar thanks to a fingertip save from Erps, and that was the warning shot. Then came Vazmut's low cross to Magul, and she fired it in at the near post for the equaliser. 1-1. It was definitely coming. Here's Vazmut. Along the face of goal and in. Equaliser for Germany. And no surprise, it's Alina Magul who strikes. She's been the most threatening. Well worked goal, 1-1. And at full time, it was England 1, Germany 1. The second half was really dominated by Germany. Their only slip-up really was the goal. Their defence was in no man's land. And England showed they could be clinical at the right time and their strength and depth as they showed throughout the tournament. Daly was struggling on the left towards the end of the game, but she was brought off for Greenwood. Um, Wiegman once again showing her tactical nouts and always seeing where the weaknesses are. And are we getting deja vu? It's a yet another England-Germany final at Wembley that went to extra time. And after a nervy first half, England had won a corner in the second half as Chloe Kelly tried to roar up the crowd. It is hemp and it is deep. Cross the ball in. Scott knocked it on, and after a bit of a scramble, Kelly put it into the net. She waited for confirmation of the goal before taking her shirt off in a very memorable celebration. 2 1 to England with 10 minutes to go, and what a time to get your first goal for England in, in the Euros final! And it turns out to be an absolutely important goal. England were absolutely class in the last 10 minutes, kept control of the ball, played some classic time-wasting corner flag tactics. And after extra time, unbelievably, it was England 2, Germany 1. England were the winners of Euro 2022. It's Leah Williamson to bring it home. England! England, European champions! This is just incredible. England really stabilised things in extra time, but they didn't really look like scoring until that corner came. Now, I was, you know, watching this game, getting quite nervous about it. And I sort of got to a point in extra time where I just resigned myself to fate. I thought, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I always felt that if it went to penalties, Germany were the absolute favourites. I mean, Germany versus England, penalties. I mean, it's only going to go one way, right? So you really did feel that England had to score in extra time. And they did, even though it did feel for a long time that might not happen. I mean, great composure from the side as well to keep the lead for the final 10 minutes and just make sure Germany didn't even get a look in. You know, that was fantastic game management. And Wiegmann's side is so good at this. And that's what she brings as a head coach. That kind of, those tactics, absolutely fantastic. Things went wild after the final whistle. Leah Williamson gave a passionate interview about what what it means to win that. A Chloe Kelly abandoned her interview to sing Sweet Caroline, which is quite funny. And then Wiegmann didn't really know what was happening in her interview. And it's kind of weird, these old post-match interviews they keep doing where everyone just wants to celebrate and there's, you know, there's Neil Diamond blasting out the speakers. They're trying to do an interview. Like, just leave it. 
do it later. Anyway, that was quite enjoyable. For me, I got quite emotional actually watching this. I really got invested in this team and just how... And knowing all the players' names is such a big thing. They really played open and positive play, you know. And there's so many members of this squad that were so important to the win. You know, Mead, who won the player of the tournament and the golden boot, you know, absolutely fantastic in front of goal. You had the super subs, Toon and Russo, obviously, throughout the tournament. Toon scoring some absolutely critical goals. And Russo, I mean, she didn't have the best final, but apart from that, was fantastic. And Kelly, of course, with the winner. I mean, what a time to get your goal. Earps had a fantastic tournament with some fantastic saves. Walsh dominated that midfield and that brilliant through ball for the first goal. Bronze proving her class with deadly crosses. These are all England legends now. And it is massive for the women's game. This is a big step forward, I think. And I think it is going to lead to you know, more attendance at WSL games and hopefully more quality in terms of girls being able to play the game at school. I think it's a bit silly, really. I mean, I, I complain about my school days that I really wanted to be a goalkeeper, um, but never got picked as a goalkeeper. But even then, I'm more privileged if girls can't even play the game in PE. I mean, that makes me more privileged than them. So really, that's something that just seems ridiculous that is not changing. And the women's game is much, much better than it was like 10 years ago. And there's always been criticism about the women's game, about it being a bit scrappy. And there were times in this tournament where it was getting that scrappiness. Overall, it's been fantastically positive and the play has been really good. And it's actually been really entertaining to watch. And for me, I feel like I'm more invested on women's football than ever been. I'm actually even thinking about just ditching the men's game completely and just watching women's football because it might be less stressful for one. It might just be fun. It might be, you know, it's nice. I mean, the whole attitude, the whole feeling around this game compared to 12 months ago with the Wembley final of Euro 2020, which was marred by violence. And now we've got this really nice atmosphere at the same stadium for a Euros final. And it's like, this is night and day stuff, isn't it? And you've got a men's game polluted by money, polluted by, you know, ego. And you've got players wanting to leave and like being paid 400 grand a week. And you've got these women who might get that half of that in a year if you're lucky. So it's just such a positive part of football. It feels like the old days almost of the men's game where you did have players who who weren't earning that much money, who were actually, you know, quite grateful, had lots of gratitude for the position they've been in. And one thing I hope doesn't happen, I I really hope that the women's game progresses and I really hope there is more quality, but I hope they don't inherit some of the bad traits of men's football. Let's just say that. And, um, you know, don't want that toxicity either of, of fandom. So let's talk about what happened after the match. The team crashed Wiegmann's press conference with a rendition of its coming home and uh, Mary Epps actually jumped on the table. Meanwhile, in the post-match on the BBC, Ian Wright, Alex Scott and Gabby Logan all made the case for women's football really well. I really like Gabby's uh, closing monologue on the BBC. I thought that was fantastic. And in fairness to the BBC, you know, get, gets a lot of uh, stick for various things, but their coverage of this tournament has been really good. What I like about women's commentators is that they actually talk about tactics and how the game works instead of like random crap, which you get with men's commentators. 
it's just like that's nice it's actually nice to talk about how you know the psychology of play and more more about the actual game and more about the tactics i mean emma hayes is great at that but she wasn't actually commentating a lot um obviously because itv uh didn't have the rights to this which you're probably kicking themselves for right now and um, i wouldn't be surprised if you see itv getting with that for either the the women's world cup or even the next euros Obviously, you know, the, the, the day after celebrations at Trafalgar Square with some very hungover England players, lots of shades out in force there. Who can blame them? And you could tell they were quite tired after probably a night of partying. But it's great for them. It's a great moment for them to do that. I don't, I don't think they had an open top bus. Maybe they should get one. But, you know, fantastic uh, celebration for them. Over 17 million people watched the game on TV. So it's the biggest TV audience of the year. Who knows, it might be equaled or beaten by the men's game. We don't know yet. Uh, obviously, there is going to be the World Cup later in the year because it's weird. The big thing, though, is there's no more years of hurt. Even David Baddiel suggested they should actually retire Free Lions as kind of a England song now that an England team as well. It is important to point out that this is a sort of senior team thing because... In the last five years, the men's under-17s, under-19s and under-20s have all won major tournaments and now along with the women's team. So pressure's on a bit for the men's team to actually win something. Although, in fairness to Southgate's team, they have improved quite a lot over the tournaments, having a semi-final defeat and a final defeat. This is the first time that an England football senior team has won a major tournament since 1966. And back then, women's football was banned just... They banned women's football for like 50 years from the 20s to the 70s. And it's unbelievable, really. Um, so they've really gone from the 70s, you know, the game being legalised, through to players playing and paying to play and having second jobs to get them through playing. You know, even getting to finals previously, like in uh, Euro 2009, but then being completely outclassed by Germany, to now actually besting Germany in a final, the first time the German women's team has ever lost a Euros final. So this is monumental stuff. And the question is, do we have to rename this show? Because it's called Years of Hurt, and now there's no Years of Hurt. Is it Year Zero of Hurt? Is there any hurt anymore? I don't know. I almost think it's better that the women won rather than the men, because this is like a game-changing moment for them. This is like a game-changing moment for the whole sport and how... It can have this whole new kind of dynamic to it. And it's not just, you know, the championship, the lower leagues, the premiership. Now it's, and they've got this whole, they've got a women's super league as well. You know, I live in Jersey, so I don't know if I'll be able to get to women's super league games, but if I get the chance of going over, I think I'll probably go to one actually. And, you know, it's really accessible for people to go. And so that is the main thing, you know, if you can go, why not go see a women's game this year? I'm very much interested in, in seeing, you know, like Toon and Earps and, and uh, Russo at the Man United women's team. And to be honest, they're probably going to do better than the Man United men's team uh, based on their recent uh, recent form, <laughs> just to say that. Uh, but yeah, so we are planning to be back for the Qatar World Cup in November, although it seems kind of a weird one now and who knows what's going to happen there. And maybe it just won't be as good as this. I mean, what can be better than this? I mean, you would expect the Lionesses, unless something major happens for them to be the team of the year at Sports Personality of the Year, because they are fantastic. And this is really, it's almost good that the Qatar World Cup was delayed, because if it hadn't been delayed, 
tournament would have got lost in the shuffle, surely. It might not even happen because you would have just had that sort of year COVID and then you would have had two back-to-back summer tournaments for the men's game. So I don't even know when it would be played. It'd probably just be skipped and then they just have the next one in, you know, 2025 or whatever, which would have been a massive shame. So in kind of a way, we have to thank, you know, Qatar for being a winter tournament. So we got this amazing women's tournament instead. I mean, isn't it better that way? I don't know. I don't know. I also prefer the 16-team format to 2014. That's just weird, isn't it? It's like it's like this whole 48-team World Cup format. I'm, I'm just going on a bit anyway. It's amazing. Lionesses are great. It's come home. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. So from me, Richard Carey, I hope you've enjoyed watching Lionesses over the last couple of years. Hope you've enjoyed listening to a special bonus episode. And we shall see you at the World Cup. Au revoir. a game-changing moment well the record audiences on tv and crowds in the stadiums has been fantastic brilliant but to really move the sport on we need you if you've enjoyed it get yourself along to a wsl game this season even if you only go to one or two the lionesses have brought football home now it's down to the rest of us to make sure it stays here you think it's all over it's only just begun